when you reach that point, and hopefully you will, however you define it, my business is full or my client roster is full, I need to start working on the business, that you have a network of people. Um, you know, doesn't mean you're gonna hire in all these new other people, but you have, you've built a network along the way so that you can, you can talk to them. Um, it's not an echo chamber. You don't wanna just hear yourself talking. You want real trusted advice. Um, even if they say you're out of your mind or you're down, you're going the wrong way, let me help you. You have to be willing to listen at that point. So I'm down the road a little bit. When you do work on the business, you have to be willing to listen and take that advice. But I think realizing that point is a little bit scary. Welcome to The In Factor. This is a live recording today. I am so excited to have two guests with me today. Jenny Byens and Brooke Daly, and they are members of the Independent Educational Consultants Association. And we're doing this In Factor Live um, during the retreat, uh, the January 2023 retreat. So welcome, Jenny and Brooke. So glad to have you both with me today on the In Factor. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Dr. White. Yes. So I'd like to uh, start, since this is a live episode, I'd like to ask each of you to maybe introduce yourself and just um, tell, tell the audience a little bit about your background, and then we'll kind of dig into how you got to where you are today. Brooke, you want to start? Or Jenny, you start. Go for it, Jenny. I, I'm going for <laughs> it. Um, I, I uh, have a, a very different background from some typical consultants that do our type of work, but but I think in the in that sense, a lot of us have very very different backgrounds. But we all f find a way to bring our strengths to the table in working with clients. Um, my background is that I have an MBA. I worked a long time in the corporate world, and then um, you know family, kids, relocation quite often. So decided to um, go out on my own, and have always had the the desire to start things. I love to plant a seed, put a stake in the ground, get something going. I love to create things where there's never been things before. So this type of, of work greatly appealed to me. Um, and so I've been an IEC here in the Twin Cities area for 10 years. And prior to that, I ran a college and career center. Again, I founded it um, in my daughter's large public high school. I worked at that for seven years. So a serial entrepreneur in the education space. That's me. <laughs> Brooke, let's hear about your background. I love it. Um, so before I started my business in 2008, I worked at two different nonprofits that served underserved youth in the whole college planning process. So college admission, college selection, and financial aid. And there was a strong focus on financial aid. So that was, a, you know, one of my focuses as I started my business was on affordability. And that still rings true today. So, so Brooke, you are in North Carolina, I think, and, and I yes. think in our conversations earlier, you, you have franchises as well. So why don't you tell, uh, I know a lot of our audience watching today know uh, something about the business that you are in, but, but for our listeners, other listeners on the In Factor, tell us a little bit about what an educational consultant does. Oh, so we help students, high school students and their parents navigate the whole college planning process from, you know, choosing colleges that fit them well, helping that student create their college list, navigate course selection in high school, helping them create their resume, all the way to applying to college, you know, the common application, 
uh, where to apply college essays, and then uh, a lot of college consultants uh, help families with the whole financial aid process as well. You know, filling out the FAFSA, the CSS profile, and uh, navigating financial aid packages. Okay. And so I mentioned before, you've got franchises. Tell us about your company. So when did you start your company and where are you located? Uh, where are your franchises and, and how did you get into the franchising business? Yeah, that's a great question. I started my business in 2008 in Raleigh and I grew that business. And while I became a mom, I decided to take a small step back because I realized that growing my business meant that the more students I took on, the busier I was going to get when my kids eventually would be out of school. And I thought I'm building a business that I'm eventually going to hate. <laughs> so at that point I decided, you know what, I'm going to start doing some business coaching. And I worked with a lot of really awesome college consultants as they were launching their business. And I love that process of coaching. And I realized that the franchise world, that's basically what it is. It's a relationship business. I help people get into business. And then it's the sustainable, you know, I'm creating a hive of college consultants all over the country that can work together. And, but they're all entrepreneurs, which I think is really exciting. So that's why I decided to go with the franchise model. Um, we embarked on that whole journey. And Dr. White, I'm sure you realized that the franchising world is its whole, you know, it's a whole different business and it's a you know a whole different animal than running a college consulting business um, so we did that in two, 2000 um sorry in 2020 uh, actually we were launching during covid super exciting <laughs> <laughs> and so we opened a location in new york one in florida actually and then our third is going to open soon in the great state of maine yeah yeah, the pandemic was uh, was a time of challenge, but a time of opportunity in other ways. So, mm -hmm. so Jenny, so so talk to us a little bit. You you know you've been an entrepreneur. You've you've started more than one uh, business, and so tell us a little bit about what attracted you to this space, and and a little bit more about your business and how you differentiate what you do. Yeah, thanks. I you know. What attracts me, like I said, um, I realized that that helping the way I got started in the college center at my daughter's high school was to actually very simply schedule college reps to come visit our high school. I couldn't believe they didn't have a system. I thought that I can do that in my sleep. You want something organized? I'm there. And then I kept running into challenges and roadblocks. And I thought, well, I, our, our, our school was 60% um, free and reduced lunch and 50% um, students of color. And those students were not being served. Um, and I thought this is not right. So that's my, that's really my, my why. And my goal um, is to, is to increase access for those types of students. So fast forward, um, you know, I came to the Twin Cities, ended up um, wanting to do this on my own, thinking, ah, no problem. I'm a great person. I know what I'm doing. I know how to run a business. And you know, nearly four years later was, was up against the brick wall, feeling like it wasn't going to work. And so um, fortuitously found the connection with my business partner, Kate Malcheski and College Connectors. So I cannot claim the, the generation of College Connectors that occurred before I showed up um, seven years ago, but it was started by obviously an entrepreneur that wanted to reach students, different background than me, and our company was doing very well. But, um, you know, uh, my business partner is also an entrepreneur. So 
put two entrepreneurs together and you get an explosion. So we've grown the business exponentially, both our inside people and our client base and our revenue and everything else. And it's just been a fun ride. That was a different a different challenge for me instead of always doing everything myself was to, to was to work closely with my partner to make sure we were doing the right oh, thing. So that was a fun yeah. it, it remains a great challenge. Yeah, I think that's um, and, and uh, that's something I think it, is that we might want to dig into um, in our conversation because a lot of people do have partners, and that can be the best and the worst of what you're doing, <laughs> depending on your partnership. So uh, I think uh, that's a, that's um, that's really interesting. And so let's talk a little bit uh, before we uh, before we started recording. We were uh, talking a little bit about how um, you had both been in this space for about a decade. And I'm just very curious, has you know the planning process for students um, who want to go to college and are seeking assistance to make sure they get in the right one, has that changed much over the past 10 years that you've been in this space? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you want to start, Brooke? Uh, Talk to I us about like, like that, how yeah. that's changed. Yeah, I think there are many changes, right? And Jenny, feel free to chime in. Um, I think obviously over COVID, a lot changed in the admission process, you know, with testing and a lot of colleges being test optional. I think parenting has changed, which changes the nature of our work. Um, to some extent, I think parents are always going to be worried about where their student ends up. And so we've really, mm -hmm. in our business, tried to embrace that the last few years. Um, so yeah, I think it's and it's constantly changing, right? I think that's part of our job as college consultant is to keep up with the trends and that's not necessarily easy or simple. Yeah, I think everything's changed but nothing has changed. You know, the the heart of the business, the interaction between the consultant and the client family is mm -hmm. you know, they still come to you saying, "I'll never get in anywhere. I don't know anything about college. Please help." Parents some parents think they know more than others, but um, generally they're coming in with not much knowledge. But on the flip side, all the back office stuff, not just in our particular business, I mean, in the IEC world, holy moly, um, you know, where do you want to start? It, the most recent, one of the most recent upheavals is the, the addition, the challenge of, of um, AI um, into our businesses, both the way we work and the way our, our clients will be affected, the way colleges are going to respond. I mean, that's just a very, very recent example. So I think one of my first um, IEC mentors told me, get ready, it's going to be like drinking from a fire hose. And I don't know about other <laughs> professions, because I haven't done this recently, but this sure is, it's a constant challenge to keep up with everything so that you can be effective with your, now, with your clients. So when you're talking about AI, Jenny, are you talking about the software that will actually like write the student essays for them? And uh, and and yeah. and as a college professor, I know about the ones that will write their <laughs> college papers. Is that what you're referring to, or is, are there other yes. ways that AI? Uh, yeah, is it, is it interfering, or is it is it is there a positive aspect well, to it as well? There's really two, I see it as and Brooke chime in. I see it as two sides. It's really it definitely is going to affect the application process because of course um, the the essay is a is a is a critical part of all that. Um, it's also going to affect our business, and there's also challenges for us. How can we how can we adapt and harness AI to be a more effective um, college advisors? Mm hmm. Did you want to add to that, Brooke? No, I agree with you, Jenny. I think it will change 
something will change in the admission process as a result. And what that is, I think is too soon to tell, but I wonder if colleges will do something like proctored essays or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. different, you know, submitting academic work instead of essays. I think, you know, we'll see a shift there. Yeah, you know, Brooke, you mentioned earlier that you'd seen a change in parents and uh, I'm making some assumptions, but I'm guessing that parents are more involved. Uh, and and uh, <laughs> How could you and guess then, that? <laughs> <laughs> I can remember when my children went to school, it's been a while, uh, went away to college. I remember, you know, a big part of their goal was to separate from me, um, you know, as well. So do you see a change in the students as well as the parents or is it mostly parents? I think there's also a change in students. I think after COVID, our students you know, there was an impact there. And I think a lot of, well, at least in our business, we've seen needier students. You know, we have a lot of students who may not get as much work done outside of meetings. Uh, We do have some overly involved parents, but like I said, from our perspective, we're really trying to embrace that, knowing that parents really just want what's best for their student. They're stressed out about the process. So we really try and wrap them into the fold and, you know, help them along the way. So, so yeah, I think they've both changed. So a a lot of your goal is to make sure the student is actually, uh, you know, gets to the right university or college. Is that, would that be a correct statement? And, and so, um, you know, I, I know now there's some new trends with regard to universities that are no longer participating in rankings. Does that, um, is that a good or a bad thing for this, the industry in your mind and what you're trying to do? I'm, I'm going to jump in for that Jenny, one. Yeah, you you hit a hot in. button with me. Um, <laughs> and it's one that we spend a lot of time trying to rationalize with parents, explaining how the rankings are determined um, what that truly means, does that mean that if a college is ranked number one in fill in the blank, that that's the best college for your student? Um, and then there's a whole discussion that follows around that. And we also remind parents that, um, you know, I think every college is ranked number one in something. It might be best food. It might be most fun. It might be best math department, whatever. Colleges tout those because as a society, I think we're conditioned, you know, I want the best. I'm going to pay for the best. And um, that's where I think where parents get hung up because it's no longer an ability to pay that's going to get your in. Well, it shouldn't be an ability to pay that gets your student into a college. (laughs) And I think for the very first time, some parents are struggling with that because they've been privileged enough in the past to say, I want this, I'm just going to pay for it. And it doesn't always work perfectly like that in the college admissions process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of things we could talk about when it comes to pay, pay your way to go (laughs) to a college, some legal, some illegal, but um, I'm sure you run into all kinds of issues and challenges there. What advice do you give um, if we happen to have parents or, or prospective uh, college going students in the audience, what, what, what advice would you give them about about um, you know making their application stand out and, and and ensuring that they get into the school that they are you know their top schools. I love that question. I think and well and I think a lot of college consultants would agree that we try and help students find their voice and to be themselves and to be authentic. So I think that's the most important thing and to not feel like you have to be somebody you're not. 
right? Like we have a lot of students and parents come to us thinking that they have to, well, I have to go do community service so I can get into the school. Like, actually you don't. Like if that's not in your wheelhouse and that's not what you love doing, let's talk about what you do love doing. So I think that's one of the most important parts of that process is to allow students to, you know, follow what they love instead of, you know, racing after what they think that admission folks want. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah, that's, I think that's I great too. advice. Go ahead, I think, Jenny. I think I always, when we speak with students, we say, you know what, you do you. You know what, You're, there's no formula, there's no magic potion, there's no hidden back door. That's, mm-hmm. that's probably not a good term to use, considering <laughs> what happened a few years back. But, um, you know, helping, like Brooke said, helping the student find their voice. And one of the ways we do that is to celebrate all along the way. We don't wait till the admissions decisions come in and then go, yay, you got into blah, blah, school. We celebrate when you submit the the applications. We celebrate when you've finished your list uh, and you've done the research. And we make those little celebrations so that the student realizes that's not the prize. The prize is I'm learning, I'm growing. Look how far you've come since you showed up on my doorstep a year and a half ago or whatever. And I, I've just noticed, I think especially, Brooke, you talked about it before with the impact of COVID and remote learning and the disruption of the social network of a lot of these students, they've missed that. And we're in a lucky position where we don't have to grade the students. We, I mean, we, we want them to participate. Of course, their parents are investing, but we, we can't, you know, they're, they're doing it because they want to do it. And that's a, a treasured position. So I think we owe it to the students to teach them how to celebrate when they win, when all along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, it's not a marathon, right. And they've got to, they've got to get, you know, celebrate those wins as they go along the way. So let's, um, let's dig in a little bit to build about building your company that the M factor is a podcast that a lot of entrepreneurs and prospective entrepreneurs listen to. And, you know, one of the challenges that I've heard over the years for people, especially that, that um, are in kind of a consulting kind of business, and they love um, working with with, uh, you know, their clients and they love the advice and the consulting side is that running the whole running a business thing sometimes gets in the way of what they really want to do, do every day. Um, Did either of you experience that? And if so, you know, how did you overcome that? And how do you, how do you think about, you know, this whole thing of working, uh, working on your business as opposed to always being in your business and 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 doing everything. Brooke, you want to you want to take a stab at that to start. I would love to. I love that question. <laughs> so I think that this is something that a lot of college consultants struggle with. I think for me, I learned about myself as an entrepreneur that I really like change, and I actually love the process of working on my business and not necessarily always in my business. So I've really enjoyed developing my team and watching them grow as college consultants and watching them grow in their roles and become, you know, coaches and supervisors on our team and, you know, doing different projects. So I actually really enjoy that process, uh, but I think it's very typical in our space to see success in, you know, I filled up my client load and now I don't have time to work on my business. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think it, and for a lot of people, Jenny, you have similar feelings yeah, Brooke, about that? You know, it's funny. I sometimes think, how did Brooke get in my head? I was just going to actually echo the exact same thing. <laughs> but I think when you, when you reach that point, and hopefully you will, however you define it, my business is full or my client roster is full. I need to start working on the business that you have a network of people. Um, you know, doesn't mean you're going to hire in all these new other people, but you have, you've built a network along the way so that you can, you can talk to them. Um, it's not an echo chamber. You don't want to just hear yourself talking. You want real trusted advice. Um, even if they say you're out of your mind or you're down, you're going the wrong way. Let me help you. You have to be willing to listen at that point. So I'm down the road a little bit. When you do work on the business, you have to be willing to listen and take that advice. But I think realizing that point is a little bit scary. And I've noticed um, through my tenure as an IEC, I think we we're lucky we have two different kinds of consultants in our business. Some are perfectly happy with a caseload of students. They're incredibly good at what they do. End of story. And then there's some of us other ones who love working with students, love the process, and also want to develop a business. So I think there's two groups within, mm-hmm. I certainly in, within our association and, and, and both are very valid, but it's hard to know, like you said, Brooke, when do you, when do you make that crossover or when do you refuse? When do you just decide, nope, I'm not going to go that route. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. think it's important to recognize that there are many different models for how you may want to approach this. And maybe you want to remain a solo entrepreneur and, you know, have your caseload, as you said, or maybe you want to build a, a franchise business, or maybe you want to go in with a partner. And those are two very different approaches. Um, let's talk, Jenny, a little bit about partnerships. And, uh, you know, uh, I've um, experienced myself some partnerships that didn't work out, and I've had some great ones. What do you think makes a good partnership if you're considering going into business with someone? Well, I can speak from you know fr- from the experience with independent consulting work. Um, it it started. Um, I think I think the main thing is respect and trust for the for the other person. I mean, I we don't work in the same office. We're not even physically, we're 30 miles apart. Um, we like to go out and have lunch now, but we don't work ne- next to each other. So I don't want people thinking, you just look up from your desk and your partner's across the way. So it's got to be, um, there's a lot of trust involved that when your partner says they're going to do something, they do it. And I don't I don't lose any sleep over that. I don't have to worry about that. It's a great relief. I've heard from other people who've had unsuccessful partnerships that that was a big part of it. I don't know how you, I'm not sure, you know, boy, I'm not sure how I would tell you how to build the trust. I think that's just both people. It's like a marriage. Both people go in with the intention that our business is going to work. Um, we're going to, we're going to keep this going. I'm not in it to, you know, what, what are my motives? Here they are. I'm speaking the truth. And I think, um, you know, that's one of the things I've been lucky to, to experience. Yeah, so it's just like almost like any other relationship, right? It, there has to be trust there, and and uh, you know, and and when you're when you're going into business together, one of the big challenges is goals, I think, and whether or not you have similar goals, because that can have a a big impact on how how big you want to grow your company and and um, a lot of other decisions that you make along the way. Um, Brooke, you have a franchise business. Talk to us a little bit about that. I know there are 
a lot of um, challenges with with franchising. There are upsides, there are downsides, and you have to prove your concept out first before you even think about franchising. So tell us a little bit about your experience with franchising and, um, you know, what worked and maybe, you know, what some of the challenges were along the way as well. I love that. Thank you. Great question. So I think, you know, it's one of those experiences, had I known what this was going to be like, would I do it again, right? Uh, I think, you know, now I can say, yes, I think I would do it again, but it certainly has been a ride in so many different ways. Um, it is a, you know, it really is its own business. And I really can't say that enough. Like it is not connected to our Raleigh College Consulting uh, business really at all. I mean, there are some overlaps, but it is a completely different marketing plan. Um, you know, when I think about what it took to start the business, that's where I'm like, I still have a little bit of PTSD. <laughs> um, because, you know, that process of, you know, we created an operations manual that essentially is everything you need to do in order to operate a location. Uh, it was a labor of love for sure. Uh, and it's always, you know, evolving and uh, hopefully getting better. But that process alone, um, we were fortunate enough to work with a really great franchise consulting firm that's pretty well known in the franchise industry. And they helped us through every step of the process. I mean, we would not have been able to do it without them. So they made the process fairly seamless, but it was still, I mean, that just the operations manual took a good solid nine months of time. And then the, you know, the franchise world is essentially a legal structure, right? So you work with, um, you know, we have a great franchise attorney, uh, a team of attorneys who have helped us along the way. And you know, when you work with attorneys, actually earlier in the retreat, we were talking about this, that you have to give away like an arm, a half of a leg and uh, <laughs> et cetera. So it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to, it's a huge commitment, I think. Uh, and you know, looking back on it, like I said, I think I, I'm at the point now where I think I would do it again. Um, because what I love is that relationship. And I love the process of helping somebody get into business. I think, uh, you know, Dr. White, I looked at your assessment online. And I love it, by the way. And it was a great exercise. Because I think when you're working with new entrepreneurs, a, a, you know, a huge part of it is just the mental hurdle right? It's the, can I do this? So when I started my business, I was doing it in a spare bedroom of a two bedroom apartment. And I probably spent 50% of my day going through Craigslist, trying to find a full-time job because I thought there's got to be an easier way to make money. Like this is ridiculous. This is so hard. And so I think I've, I look back when I'm working with new franchisees, I look back at that experience and I look back at myself in that spare bedroom and I think like, I wish I would have had somebody there to tell me like, you can do this and you're gonna make it and it's gonna be okay. Uh, because I think that's what people need when they're starting a business. And not only that, but we get to give them all of the systems and processes and everything they need to launch. So it's really exciting. Yeah, that's so cool. And I, I love that, um, you know, I love that story. And, and mo 
most entrepreneurs do like to kind of remember back to the early days uh, because that's where you kind of build your character <laughs> that gets you, you know, in the strength mm -hmm. to kind of get through the really tough times because there are always tough times. And, um, you know, we all experienced a lot of adversity. I mean, over the last 20 years, there have been a number of um, events that have really devastated a number of businesses from 9-11 to the Great Recession to the pandemic. Um, and now, you know, we're facing inflation and other economic challenges. And um, there's probably a lot of parents that are really challenged to send their uh, children to school. And um, so there are a lot of different things going on. And and we have to be prepared for that. And um, I, lo I love that you've been able to turn your experience into making the experience better for, for others who want to kind of follow in your path through a franchise model. And, um, you know, fr franchising can be, can be a, a really exciting opportunity once you prove that concept out because you can grow very quickly and it's an exciting way to grow. Uh, but as you said, it takes a lot of work and paperwork, uh, and not everybody has the stomach for that. So, um, you know, when, when, uh, when we talk about an entrepreneurial mindset, which is kind of what you're bringing up there, Brooke, um, you know, the, a lot of the research I've done has identified three competencies, the ability to recognize opportunities, which both of you, um, which both of you have been able to do the willingness to take action. And a lot of that's what you're talking about. You have to have that self-efficacy, that self-confidence to keep going. And then the perseverance and the resilience to keep going after failure. And so one of the things I always like to do <laughs> is kind of put my guests on the spot and ask them if they've ever had to experience failure um, and, and sort of uh, whether or not they might share a story and how they how they um, kind of overcame that because I think you know as entrepreneurs are listening and uh, you know I've worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs over the years and thousands of people who want to be entrepreneurs and you know there is a lot of fear of failure and that's one of the things that we kind of have to get people over the hump of being of not taking action because of fear of failure. And by hearing the stories of others, it really kind of helps them. Um, so do either of you have a, a, a failure story you'd be willing to share <laughs> with, with the world? Every day, every day there's little, little bumps and glitches. And, <laughs> and uh, as um, so one of our favorite consultants says, the ahas and the oh no's. And I cleaned it up a little bit. You know who you are, Bob Carlton. Um, but, um, you know, just, just every day, um, thinking about being mindful, being in the moment. Um, you know, n the reason I, the reason I think my entrepreneurial spirit has grown to the point where it is now is having worked in corporate world, a fortune 100 company for 15 years and full of ideas, full of, you know, passion, drive, whatever, and being stopped and being told, well, we've always done it this way. Really? Okay. But what if we did it this way? That was not a question I was supposed to be asking. So it took me 15 years to get up and get out. And I did. And I haven't looked back. And so I think, you know, to me, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Back to your idea about recognizing opportunity and mitigating risk. I mean, you're not going to take silly risks. Um, again, that's where your network comes in. You want to talk to people. And also, 
I, I really want to elevate this is that networks should include people from outside of your industry. Wow. That was a, um, a friend of mine mentioned that a couple of years ago and I've worked really hard. I thought I was doing okay to have a lot of network within our consulting business. I, I've learned exponentially as much with outside um, experts as well. So all that being said, um, you know, uh, you know, failure happens all the time. And it's just the, you know, the, the willingness to, you know, stand up. It's not how many times you fall, it's how many times you get up. I mean, and that's kind of a Pollyanna way to say it. No, I, well, I think it's true. You know, I think the reality is that failure teaches us lessons and the entrepreneurial process is a learning journey. And so if we go in assuming, uh, you know, I've had this conversation with a number of entrepreneurs who finally had the aha moment, they realized they didn't have to know it all before they started. Um, and, and I think that's one of the most powerful things that we can share is that, you know, you're learning every day and uh, those mistakes and those failures and those challenges are often the best lessons. And the ones There's a favorite the phrase that I have somewhere in my office. It says, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And that's, that's the way I look at it. I don't, I have no regrets, <laughs> like but I'm always learning. <laughs> So, so what's been, you know, uh, from the business process perspective, what's been the hardest for you? For some people, um, you know, they really struggle with building teams. For some people, it's marketing. Uh, for some people, it's finance and numbers. For other people, it's the legal side. Uh, would you say there's any of those that you have found harder? And how did you overcome that um, learning challenge? Well, I was going to share, Dr. White, that uh, one of my challenges was I was two years into my business and I had just moved from Vermont to North Carolina. I didn't know anyone when I started. And so I had to build this business with no network. And I was about two years in. I had just did I had just presented 36 presentations in six weeks, literally a marathon of presentations. And I got a cease and desist from the state of Ohio that I was infringing on their trademark. And when I started my business, I was very type A. I used an attorney, I had everything done by an attorney and I thought I was covered, right? So I get the cease and desist and I go back to my attorney and I say, what in the world? And he said, well, you know, you're operating in the state of North Carolina as College Advantage and, you know, they're flexing their muscles. It's the name of their 529 plan, but you're not, you know, you're not in the same industry you're in you're operating in a different state like and he basically told me don't worry about it <laughs> a couple of months later i got a a certified letter that i was basically being served and i also received a solicitation from a trademark attorneys asking if they wanted um if i wanted them to represent me in this lawsuit and i thought oh my goodness and i i mean my business at that point i wasn't making anything and i thought i you know i had just done all of these presentations under this name like i'm gonna lose it long story short we had to fight it for about a year it didn't go to court thank goodness we were able to you know to settle um, and i used that year to transition my name and point the website to a different website um, so i look back and you know, I'm like, would I have done something differently? Of course I would have, but I really thought that I had, you know, covered all of my bases. So um, I know earlier, again, in the retreat, 
we were talking about uh, legal issues, but I come back to, you know, I think I'm even more cautious now from a legal standpoint, and I get, uh, you know, an opinion from who I think is going to be the best person and not just a general attorney, but I go right to the source. And yes, it does cost more, but it will cost less in the end. So I've yeah. learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> That's a great story. And I think there is a really good lesson in that. And that my husband actually is an educator and, an, and, uh, and a, uh, a lawyer. And I think he was the speaker earlier today. <laughs> And I know he he talks a lot about the fact that you want to make sure that you go to uh, an attorney who who doesn't have to educate themselves about the topic um, on your dime. It's going to cost you less in the long run, even if they charge more per hour. So I think you know legal issues can be some of the the most frightening. Um, you know, like I said, for most people, it's either a marketing issue, a legal issue, or a, or a dollars, you know, understanding financials and, and a money issue, or maybe all of the above, depending <laughs> on what the given day is. But that's a great story. That's, um, you know, I, um, I have, you know, one of the things that really helps us through, and, and you talked about finding good attorneys, and, and sometimes we do everything that we can, like you did, and we still have problems. Um, but but mentors and coaches can can really be helpful along the way. Have either of you had mentors that have been helpful? And um, you know, would you share a little bit about how that's worked for you? I, I'll go first. I um, I love the concept of mentors. Um, it was new back in the day. I think it was almost um, seen as in some ways a weakness. Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I need a mentor to help me through this. And only certain people, at least I'm referring back to the corporate world, only certain people got access to mentors. Everybody else was kind of on their own. I could never figure that out. So one of the things I've been, I think has been most helpful in the entrepreneurial side is to find, you know, I develop a mentor by giving as much as you're getting. I mean, I, I think the, the whole mentorship idea is you're like, you're this, you know, young, go-getter person new to the business and you want to learn a lot, great. Don't forget, you often can offer quite a bit to your mentor as well. Um, I know I've recently worked with a couple of folks through IECA and um, one launched a business and the, well, actually both of them did. And um, I just was, I was on the receiving end of a lot of great learning through what they ac accomplished. So I think mentorship is a, is a big plus. I've not ever had a mentor outside of the consulting world. But um, I, I think, you know, I think my experience in corporate was I was looking for an anti, the anti role model that I was up against in, in corporate, I was not identifying with it. And, you know, broke free of that long time ago and have cherished any, any person who, who wants to mentor me or person who will work with me as I'm their mentor. So I think it's a, it's a secret key to being a good entrepreneur. Brooke, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah. I completely agree with that, Jenny. I was fortunate to have a really great um, mentor through the SCORE program, um, which I know is a nationwide program. And mm -hmm. I also had um, another business coach that was instrumental in kind of guiding me in those early years and taught me some really valuable lessons that I, I'm glad that I was able to learn from those people instead of living those mistakes. You know, like the classic, you know, 10% 
uh, or yeah, 10% of your clients will take up 90% of your time and really thinking about, is this a good match uh, and not taking on every client that comes your way and, you know, things like that, that at first as an entrepreneur, you don't care. Do you have a pulse? Are you breathing? Yes. So I want to work with you. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I totally agree that they're invaluable. Yeah. Some, sometimes you have to fire a customer, right? Because, <laughs> you know, because sometimes it, they're not a good fit and mentors can be there for you. It, you know, going back to our discussion about going through failures and challenges, mentors can be a really important part of that as well. And I love what you said, Jenny, about the reciprocity uh, involved in mentorship, because I know, uh, you know, I've mentored a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs, and I always learn something from them as well, uh, the good relationships. So, you know, I think be a mentor and and uh, it, it makes you, uh, you know, maybe more capable of being a good mentee as well, <laughs> being mentored. Um, you know, but it is a risk. You know, I tell my, my students when I'm coaching them about working with mentors that it's a relationship first and foremost, and and there's reciprocity there. And it's important to remember that and to be grateful and appreciative and, and to give back. So, but mentorship, I think, is an important part of being successful as an entrepreneur. And, and you can feel very alone at times, especially as you build a company and you've got people that depend on you. Um, it, gets, it can be very lonely. So um, that, those mentors can be very important. We, um, we are running close on time. I, I could continue to talk. You're both delightful and you have wonderful stories and um, just really very cool jobs and businesses that you're running. But, um, you know, the, we've got a, just a few minutes. And before I wrap up, I would like to kind of ask each of you to share uh, one piece of advice that you would share with our audience um, who, who are today educational consultants, but who might also be listening to this as entrepreneurs. Um, I don't know which of you would like to go first, but I'd love to hear your one piece of advice. Go ahead, Brooke. <laughs> Do you want to go, Jenny? Okay. So I'm going to use, and I don't even know who to give credit uh, to, to this quote, but I feel like uh, I'll just share if you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. Right. It's so, um, I know it's probably overused, but in this space, being an entrepreneur, I just, I can't say that that rings um, more true. And I feel like, you know, I came from a background with no entrepreneurs in my family. Like I bankrolled this myself, like with the money in my account. And I just feel like I had the will and the, uh, the confidence to say, I can do this. And I had to remind myself of that along the way. And I still do to this day, like it never gets easier. So that's my piece of advice. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's a well, great I'm the, quote. I'm the queen it. of Jenny? quotes here. I have stickers and wristbands and plaques and all this, but <laughs> they're all for a reason because they motivate me and they keep me, you know, focused and, and, and on track. But I think, and I, I don't remember this one. It was a long time ago, but, um, and again, my background's a little different from yours, Brooke, and I think it's influenced me a little bit because I do have an MBA. So I think there was an expectation, oh, well, you have an MBA, you know how to do this. Let me tell you, the stuff I learned in my MBA program and my undergraduate degree, wow, they, it, it's like, you know, two ships passing in the night. It was very valuable if I were to pursue a certain path. And what I found is that it wasn't helping me always in my chosen path of, of being entrepreneurial. So I found this 
and I don't know who to attribute this to, but the quote is, it's not your aptitude, but your attitude that determines your altitude, right? So a lot of people go, well, I don't know. I've only been doing this two years. I, I've never hired people. I've never do. What's your attitude, Brooke? It's your like, if you think you can or you can't, you're right. So a lot of it is not taking unmeasured risks, but thinking about it and, you know, instead of analysis paralysis, put a stake in the ground, do it, you'll learn. And then suddenly, um, you know, suddenly you're on to the next thing. So that, that one always rings true. So I think that's a thumbnail way to say, go for it. Yeah, I love both of those. And, and uh, Jenny, you know, you're talking about the traditional business education in the MBA, and you kind of did a shout out for what we do in entrepreneurship education, because we saw a gap there. And we knew that a lot of a lot of it was was not what was being taught in traditional business programs. So um, even though I have more traditional business background as well in, in my doctorate, I, um, you know, I found myself navigating and toward this whole entrepreneurial mindset and how you teach that and how you help people prepare. And a lot of it is about encouragement and and self-efficacy and self-confidence and just showing up every day and putting one foot in front of the other. And both of you are just fabulous examples. This has been such a delight. I have loved the conversation. Before we go, I'd like to give each of you the chance to let our audience know where they can find you, maybe connect with you, and maybe find out more about your business. So I think the best way to find me is Google Advantage College Planning. Thank you, Dr. White. Yes, absolutely, Brooke. Thank you, Jenny. And I'm at collegeconnectors.com. And thanks for inviting me. This has been this has yeah, been great fun. So fun. Wonderful. Thank you both. I, I loved having you and I look forward to to hearing more about the success of your companies as I watch them. Take care. Thanks so much. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor.